Okay, before you're seated, we have the opportunity to read the word of the Lord together. So you can uh, grab your bulletins or you can follow along in your Bibles as well. The uh, version that we're reading out of is the ESV. So the scripture reading this morning is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, and Galatians 3, 28 and 29. And Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, and Galatians 3, 28 to 29. Let's read together. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen. You can have a seat. Pastor Chris is going to come and share with us from God's word. Hope I didn't disappoint anyone by not running. Let's pray together. Living God, we look to you now. And Lord, I, I thank you that we can have faith that what we're doing here is not just something intellectual, words, spoken, heard, concepts, understanding. Lord, I thank you that you have told us that your word is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide us down to the smallest level. Father, I pray that in these next minutes that we would all stand before your word, humble, open, teachable, listening to what it says, ready to respond, ready to obey. And as the, the psalmist prayed so many years ago, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful things that are here in your word. We, we need you, Lord. So I pray that you'd be here. Be with us now, Father. Amen. We are on the cusp, or just having crossed over the cusp of making a significant transition in our sermon series. We, over the fall, have been considering the big story of the Bible and how it fits together, and then the role of Jesus Christ as the main character of that story and how he fulfills it all and ties it all together. And then last week, we turned and began to consider our place in this story. And that's really that third part of of uh, the, the, the tagline for this series, right? Exploring how the Bible is one story, Jesus is the main character, and we're in it today. And I, I hope you feel how significant this is. I, I talked to the kids at Sunday school this morning about that. Think about your favorite story as a child. What, what, what was it? Can you imagine turning the page in that story as you read it for the 17th time, and you read your name in that story? And then you heard a knock at the door and you opened the door and it was the main character of that story at your door saying, come on, we got, we got something to do, right? Like how, what would, what would that have been like? That's the stuff of movies or it's the stuff of the Bible because that is the experience that we have as we, like this morning in our passage, we're going to be reading about us in this story. We are a part of it and we have a part to play and that's what we're exploring in these next weeks together. So we began that last week by, by looking at 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And another way of putting that, that we, we saw, is that if anyone is in Christ, they are a part of the new creation. Eternal life has already begun. We have already started to live forever. That much is already true of us. And we saw that our inner selves, our inner man is a part of the new creation. But we also saw last week as we considered our part in this, is that there's so much that's not yet true of us. Our bodies are still a part of the old creation. And so we still struggle with sin and suffering and death. And yet we saw that the arrival of the new creation has changed so much for us. So even though sin, suffering, and death, for example, are still around, our relationship with them has been totally changed in this time of the already but not yet where we are right now. The arrival of the new creation in our inner self, it allows us to fight sin. It allows us to rejoice 
in suffering. It's not a joke. Rejoice in suffering and even count death as gain. And so that's really what this next leg of our series is all about. What All of this that we've looked at up until now, what does all of it mean for you and I today? And in this part of our series, we're going to get very specific. So next week, for example, next week's sermon is about work, like your job or your work at home or our work here at the church. The week after that, we're going to talk about money and possessions, our stuff, our bank accounts. What is the biggest story ever told, say, about your credit card bill? The week after that, we're going to be talking about marriage. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about singleness. Like you can see, we're being very specific here. How does this big story really trickle down to, and sometimes pour down, to the the very specific level of, of our day in and day out life? But before we get into all those specifics... Before we're really even free to talk about all those specifics, there's one more stop that we've got to make. And that's where we are today, where we're talking about the people of God. And here's where this comes from. Here's why we need to make this one more stop this morning. As we've surveyed the big story of the Bible, from the beginning till up to Christ and then even to the end, from Abraham onwards, it's, it's kind of hard to miss that this story of the Bible has largely been about one specific people group. The, the children of Abraham, the people of, of Israel. And so as you and I try to find our place in the biggest story ever told, it's, it's, only, it's only respectful, fitting, appropriate for us to ask, do we really have a place in this story? How do we fit in if we're not a part of that ethnic people, if we're not physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So I can only speak for myself here. I'm not Jewish. So that means I'm a Gentile. And statistically, many of us in this room are are in that same spot. And so how does this work? We sang this morning, by faith, by by the way, that new song that that Jennifer's team introduced, we're going to sing again at the end of the service. By faith, our fathers roam the earth. Are we allowed to say that? Are they really our fathers? Are we sure we fit into this story? These are really important questions for us to ask before we go any further. And we're going to see why at the end of the sermon, we talk about two more reasons why this is important for us to talk about this morning. So as we begin to answer those questions, do we really fit into this story? Is this really our story? I hope you'll remember that that from the beginning, God was concerned for the nations. We saw that when he chose Abraham, he chose him and promised him that in his offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God made a covenant with Israel and told them that they were a kingdom of priests, And that the idea there is they were to represent God to the world and were to represent the world to God. And we hear Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations. That was was the point. That was was their mission. That was Israel's mission. And yet we saw also in the story that by and large, Israel didn't fulfill this mission. Just look at Jonah as an example of that. Did everything he could to avoid having to go and... And in different stages in Israel's history, this looked different, right? But very often, their relationship with the Gentile nations was that they were worshiping the Gentile gods, right? Worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth and these different gods. When they were finally taken into exile, 
We hear in Ezekiel 36 that they, they profaned God's name among the nations. They made God look really bad. And then after the exile, what we see is the pendulum swings in the completely opposite direction. And that after the exile, the people of Israel largely, not all of them, but largely began, especially the, the group influenced by the Pharisees, they really isolated themselves from the nations. And so that by the time of the New Testament, we see that most of the Jews, they wouldn't associate, they wouldn't visit, they wouldn't eat with anyone who wasn't a Jew. They called the Gentiles by that insulting name, the uncircumcision, like we read about in our passage this morning. And they had as little to do with them as possible. That's hardly the posture of blessing. You know, it's supposed to be a blessing with the nations and you won't even associate with them, right? And, and so it was that before Christ came, us, and speaking for those of us in this room who are Gentiles, which includes me, we were in a position that we read about in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. So just think about some of those phrases that verse 12 uses to describe the position of us Gentiles before Christ came. We were separated from Christ, separated from the Messiah, like one commentator wrote, we had, we had no expectation of a Messiah to light up our darkness. Right? So think, the, the, the Jewish people had hope of a Messiah. And the Gentiles, we had, we had none of that. No hope that, that we had to look forward to. Verse 12, Ephesians 2.12 says that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were foreigners, right? to the, literally aliens to the people of God. Another word we could use for commonwealth, commonwealth of Israel, what does that mean? Another word that could kind of fit in there is citizenship. We had no citizenship in God's kingdom. We didn't belong in God's kingdom. It says we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Right? So this fall, we've traced all these incredible covenants that God made with his people. And us Gentiles were total strangers to them. We had, had no idea of, of what they were and, and we weren't touched by them. Verse 12 says, having no hope, right? With, without the covenants, without the promise, what, ho what hope is there? What hope is there apart from the promise that it's going to be a, an offspring of the woman and an offspring of Abraham, an offspring of David? There's, there's no hope, and that's the spot that we were in. And then finally, verse 12 says, we were without God in this world. Right? That's, that, that's the summary of it all. We're just alone. No knowledge, no relationship with our creator. That's it's a pretty bleak picture. Doesn't that describe most of, much of the world today? And against that bleakness, listen to what verse 13 says and how verse 13 just shines out. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hey, opposite state of, opposite situation. We were far and now we are near. I have toddlers. We read little books of opposites and I know that near and far are opposites. And that is the transition that we've made. And it's happened through Christ and by his blood. The door has been opened. You and I have been welcomed in off the street and given a seat at the table. So how did this happen? How did Christ bring us Gentiles near? How, how, how does this even work? What, what happened to make this happen? Well, verse 14 tells us, it says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one, 
We're going to come back to that phrase, but let's focus on this next one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Just think about that last phrase as we try to, try to kind of untangle this. The dividing wall of hostilities. Very likely, this is a reference to a low wall that, that surrounded the, the courtyard in the Jerusalem temple. So if, so if you were at that, lived in those days and wanted to go to the temple in Jerusalem and you were a Gentile, you would have been able to get kind of close and, and kind of see it. And, and as soon as you got to a point, you would have seen there was a little, little wall, kind of waist high, that went all the way around. And if you were a Gentile, you weren't allowed in weren't allowed to go any further. There's actually an, a sign, an inscription on this wall that, they, that archaeologists have dug up, and it basically warns Gentiles, you're responsible for your own death if you come any further. How's that for a welcome mat? So can you just imagine standing there, knowing you will never be allowed to go any further simply because you were born into a Gentile family? And how it would have felt to see people being able to go further and go in and this wall of hostility separating the Jews and the Gentiles. That's very likely what Paul's talking about here. But through Christ, that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. Jesus broke it down, what does it say? In his flesh. And that's talking about his death on the cross. So part, what you need to understand is part of what kept us Gentiles out was this whole system, this ritual system we read about in, in the first five books of the Bible of clean and unclean and, 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 and the, the Jews even themselves to, to approach and go near had to be ceremonially clean and do certain things. And there's this whole system. And we Gentiles were always unclean. And there's nothing we could do to make ourselves clean. And so there's this whole system of ordinances and rituals that, that, that kept us apart. And it all boiled down to sin. And it all boiled down to righteousness. And what we see, though, is that when Jesus died for us on the cross, he did away with that whole system because he paid for our sins once for all. So that whole system of sacrifice and clean and unclean and rituals, we don't need it anymore because we've been completely made righteous in Christ. And that's what verse 15 is saying when it says so strongly that Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. We're going to come back to this verse in a few weeks when we're going to spend a whole morning talking about, our, as Christians, our relationship with the law. But for now, I just want us to soak this in and appreciate that this whole system that kept us out, Jesus did away with when he paid for our sins. And so there's nothing, there's nothing that would keep us Gentiles out anymore. We've been made perfectly clean in God's sight. We're no longer cut off from God's presence. And so that wall is not needed anymore. And we're welcomed inside, not literally into the physical temple, but like we've heard, we're welcomed through Jesus into God's presence. But here's the amazing thing. There's, there's different ways that you can invite someone to come close. Right? I've, seen, I've been to museums. I've seen some pretty cool stuff in my life. And you can be invited in as a, as a tourist, as an onlooker. But that's not what this is talking about. We Gentiles haven't been invited in with a day pass. 
Verse 14 says, he himself is our peace who has done what? Made us both one. Verse 15 and 16 say the same idea that Jesus has created in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostilities. Do you see what's going on here? Is, is Paul, and remember, Paul, who had a life as a Pharisee and was very steeped, as he would have been a guy that would have been very happy to kill a Gentile for coming inside the temple courts. And Paul here is celebrating that this whole Jew-Gentile divide is a thing of the past. There's not these two groups of people anymore. We shouldn't think that way is what he's saying. In place of the two, he's created one new man. So let's think about that phrase for a little bit. One new man. Does that sound, does that ring a bell at all? Does that sound even a little bit familiar? Does it, does it connect up in your brain at all to, to the idea of being a new, right, one new man? Does it connect up to the idea of being a new creation that we talked about last week? If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Jesus has created in himself one new man. And in fact, scholars look at this and say that, yeah, these are talking about the same idea. When it says one new man, it's talking about that new creation, humanity, which Jesus has created. This connects up earlier to what we talked about back in the fall, about how Jesus is the last Adam. Jesus is the father of a new humanity. Maybe back then you wonder what that, like, what's, what's that mean? New humanity? I don't, well, this is what it meant. Everyone who is a new creation in Christ, like we heard about last week, is therefore a part of this new humanity of people who are all new creations in Christ. And together, we are this one new man or one new humanity in Christ. We're the new people that Jesus created. And what this passage is telling us is this one new people includes everybody, Jew or Gentile, who has come to God through Jesus. Galatians 6.15, kind of, there's all these different threads that we've got to try and connect together, right? Galatians 6.15 helps us out, where Paul says this, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Do you hear what he's saying there? It doesn't matter if you're a circumcised Jew or an uncircumcised Gentile. What matters is that you are a new creation in Christ, that you're a part of this new humanity that Jesus created. So with all this in mind, listen, listen to verse 19, right there in your bulletin, Ephesians 2:19. So then, you, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Man, what a change. You remember verse 12? Separated, cut off, aliens, strangers. And that's no longer the case. Us Gentiles, through faith in Jesus, are in all the way. We've been given full citizenship in the kingdom of God. Fellow citizens. 
We've been fully adopted into the family, members of the household of God. We Gentiles, through faith in Christ, are full members of the people of God. So what we're going to do next this morning is as we try to really wrap our heads and our hearts around this truth is we're going to see how this passage and the truth that it teaches can help correct some some unbalanced ideas that we sometimes encounter that, that have to do with this relationship between Jews and Gentiles in the new covenant. So let's talk about one of those unbalanced or imbalanced ideas that you may have heard about. It's called replacement theology. Now, I've never actually met anyone who's, who's held to this. But from what I gather, from what people tell me when they talk about it, it's this idea that God is finished with the Jewish people. On the day of Pentecost, God created the church, and, and the church is a replacement for the Jewish people, for Israel. That's where that name replacement theology comes from. God is done with this old people, and instead he made something completely new. The church has replaced Israel. I hope you can see from our passage today that's just not biblical. The church hasn't replaced Israel. Instead, what do we see? Believing Gentiles have come together with believing Jews to form this one new humanity in Christ. So so we shouldn't even think about these two groups anymore. It's just we're one New man, as verse 15 says, or Galatians 3.29, which we read, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's no, there's no sense of replacement here, but rather joining together. Now, on the other end of the spectrum of replacement theology, that's kind of over here, on the other end of the spectrum, there's another imbalanced way of thinking about Israel and the church. In my experience, this way of thinking is, is a bit more common than the first. And it shares the same kind of assumption that the Gentile church and Israel are, are two very different groups. But what this, what this second teaching that I'm talking about here talk, says is that the Gentile church and Israel are both God's people. So in other words, God has two people. There's not one people of God. There's two people of God. Israel and the church. And extreme forms of this teaching that I've encountered, they've said that Israel and the church, they relate to God in different ways. We're under different covenants. We have different futures, even different eternal homes. I've I've literally heard some people say that that the Gentile Christians were going to spend eternity in heaven and the Jews are going to get the new earth and we're going to be separated forever. Now, maybe you haven't taken it that far, but it's, it's very possible that you have been impacted by this teaching that says that Israel and the church are basically two different peoples of God with different destinies and different programs, different agendas. This teaching has been very popular in North America here over the, the past 150 years. And so all I would ask you this morning to consider is does this idea really hold up against everything that the scriptures tell us, especially think about our passages today. Think about all these statements about making us one, about creating one new man in place of the two. 
that we Gentiles are fellow citizens with the saints. Does all of that, does all of that really fit with the idea that there's two different agendas, two different futures, two different peoples of God? Or just think about that teaching of two different peoples of God. Think about that in light of that, that second passage we read in Galatians 3, where Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And that's just amazing. We sang that song as a kid, right? Father Abraham has many sons. I never really knew what was going on. Well, that's what this is talking about. Who are the sons of Abraham? Those who have faith. Don't start shaking your arm and your leg on me now. But that's what this is saying. That's what matters in the new covenant. It's not what family we were born to. It's whether or not we have faith in Christ. Isn't that what Jesus taught so many times? Think of him talking to the religious leaders in John 8, saying, Abraham's not your father. If he was, you'd be believing in me. Think of Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus met the the Roman centurion. By the way, very Gentile Roman centurion. And Jesus said this, Listen to this, Matthew 8, 10 and 12. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west. That's a phrase talking about the Gentile nations. Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, that means those who were physically descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We could go to a lot of different places and see the same thing, that in the new covenant, what matters is faith in Christ. And so once again, I just ask you to consider that view that says that God has two different people, two different agendas, two different programs is that really biblical? Because it sounds to me, from what all these scriptures are teaching, that God only has one people, and it's made up of all Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus and draw near to God through him. Now, with all that being said, we still need to clarify something about this. Because when the scriptures teach us that, that Jews and Gentiles are one in Christ... We shouldn't take that to mean that Jewishness or Gentileness means nothing anymore. And I'm not saying two different things here. I'm not backtracking on anything I just said. But the scriptures don't tell us that when a Jewish person believes in Jesus as their Messiah, that their Jewishness just gets erased, for example. So just think for a moment about Galatians 3.28, right there in your bulletin, which says... There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. Let's just stop there for a moment. When it says there's no male or female, does that mean that when we become Christians, our gender just gets erased? There's no difference at all. We just said, you know, 
in the church, we don't like, there's no differences at all between men and women. Of course not. We see so many times in the New Testament that we're still men and women and, and, and those differences matter. In fact, we even have different roles to play in the home and, and in the church. Right? Galatians 3.20 is not saying that our gender gets erased. But what it's saying is that both men and women are an equal part of the one people of God. Both men and women approach God on the same level ground as the, of the cross. Right? Being a man or a woman doesn't make you any more or less closer to God. Being a man or a woman doesn't make you any more or less a part of the people of God. And so it is with Jew and, Jews and Gentiles. In Christ, we are one. We approach God on the same basis. We're a part of the one people of God. But it doesn't mean that our ethnicity doesn't matter or just gets erased. And part of what's going to bring God glory in, in, we see in the book of Revelation is people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language being in heaven and praising him. So our tribes and languages and nations and tongues, that part of us doesn't get erased, but rather we all from those different threads come together as one people of God. And that's what's going on here. We read in the New Testament that when the Jewish people became believers in Jesus, they didn't stop being Jews they didn't have to erase that part of themselves. And it also means that the Jewishness of this story still really matters. It's something important. And we see that, for example, if you look to the end of the story, the book of Revelation. What's the capital of the new earth? It's not New York. It's the new Jerusalem. As we walk through the New Jerusalem, we're going to be walking through gates named after the 12 tribes of Israel. Our eternity is going to have a very Jewish flavor to it. And that's kind of the point. That's what Paul's saying here, is that the, the Gentiles haven't replaced the Jews. Rather, we have become a part of this very Jewish story. We Gentiles have been welcomed in to this one people of God with all of its rich Jewish heritage. And so as we read this very Jewish Bible and the very Jewish story that it tells, as we look at our very Jewish King Jesus, we get to say, that's my story too. Those are my people too. That's the family that I've been welcomed into. One more piece to this puzzle before we wrap this up and talk about what it means to you and I. That piece to the puzzle comes in Romans chapter 11. In that chapter, Paul compares, he gives it kind of a, a picture. He compares the people of God, this idea we've been talking about, to a tree, an olive tree. And how, how the people of Israel, the people, more properly, the, the, the people of Abraham, were like a, an olive tree that God tended and cultivated and cared for. It's like one of Richard Grushy's trees. Sorry, Richard, but like really well taken care of, a well taken care of tree. And, and us Gentiles, we were like those wild trees. We weren't taken care of very well. We, 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 were, we were wild. That's the picture. And, and what Paul talks about here is that 
is that when Jesus as the Messiah arrived, those, if there were branches on that tree, which is people, like you, like just people, if there were branches on that tree that didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, what happened to them? They were broken off of the tree. They weren't a part of the people of God anymore. And on the other hand, some other branches from the wild trees, like you and me, Gentiles, we got grafted in to that beautiful cultivated olive tree. It's an example from botany of breaking off natural branches and then taking these wild branches and grafting them in. But what about those branches that got ripped off and are just lying on the ground? Well, here's what Paul says about those. His, think this is talking about his fellow Jewish countrymen, Romans eleven twenty three. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, he's talking about us, Gentiles, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree. You see, it's not like these branches that have been broken off don't mean anything at all. Paul has the hope that if they will turn from their unbelief in Jesus as the Messiah, they'll be grafted back in to the people of God. And as Paul goes on, he expects a time, it seems like he expects a time when this is gonna happen on a large scale. So down in verse 25, Romans eleven twenty-five, he says, lest you be wise in your own sight. Again, talking to us Gentiles. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And when we piece this together with the rest of the chapter, the idea that seems to emerge is that before Jesus comes, Paul expects a large number of Jewish people to place their faith in Jesus as their Messiah and get grafted back into the people of God. Now, you may or may not recognize it, but that's, that's some pretty intense theology we've just chewed through in the last 20 minutes here. Maybe what I've just said, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. Maybe what I've just said raises some questions for you. Maybe you're wondering, how, how, does this, how does this all fit together? What about this or that? Or how does this fit in with things that you've been taught or things you have heard other people teach or things you've believed? There's a lot of material that we haven't been able to cover this morning. If you've got big questions or things that this makes you want to chew on, I'd love, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Send me an email or a text or just drop in. I'd, I'd love to, to talk to you about these things. Really enjoy that. But we're going to wrap it up now for this morning. And but we're going to just ask the simple question. So why did we talk about this this morning? Why does this matter? Why are we talking about this today? And I see at least three reasons why we had to talk about this this morning. Not just because theology is fun. It is. But that's not really what this is all about. There's three reasons. The first one, as, we, as I mentioned at the beginning is that before we went any further, we had to talk about, is this really our story? 
If you are a Gentile like me, as we read these Jewish scriptures, can we really consider ourselves a part of this story? And the answer from Jewish Paul is yes, certainly yes. As Gentile believers in Jesus the Messiah, we really have been made a part of this story. There's a second thing that we should, the second reason why we need to look at this is, is that as Paul writes in Romans 11, as a wild olive branch who's been grafted into this beautiful cultivated olive tree that's been looked after for so long, we should feel humility, right? We, we should feel a sense of, wow, I, I get to be a part of this? That's what Paul says. He says, do not be arrogant towards the branches. So do not become proud. That's in Romans 11, 18, and 20. You ever had that experience where you've been invited to a really fancy place and you just, you feel kind of out of place, but they want you to be there and you're just thinking, whoa, that's how we should feel being a part of this story. Someone died to make us insiders instead of outsiders. And so we should be very humble. There's no room for pride in the Christian life. And this is just one more example of that. Third, here's a third reason why we talked about this. Third and final reason. Do you notice that we've talked this morning largely about groups of people? Being a new creation in Christ is not a solo mission. It's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and us. Becoming a Christian we, we often use the phrase, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's true. But it also means that we get to become a part of a people. A new humanity that will inhabit the new heavens and the new earth forever. And this, this way of thinking helps us to think about ourselves in that way. We are a part of a people. We've been grafted in to a people. And those relationships really matter. So here... Here's an example. This could be a whole other sermon, and don't worry, it won't be. But here's just an example. Look, look around the room for a minute. Seriously, literally, I mean, just, just kind of just look around the room. These are the people that you are going to be living forever with. How are you getting along? Right? If eternal life has already begun, like we heard last week, then these are the people that you have already begun to live together with. You're stuck with each other forever. That perspective changes things, doesn't it? We can't just ignore people. We can't just slough them off. We can't just choose to not be a part of, not get involved in the church or whatever. We're a part of a people forever. And so when we look to the New Testament, we see so many times that that really matters, that part that we're part of a body that really matters. So I'm going to just read here for you, Colossians chapter 3, 9 to 15. Just listen to this passage and listen to all these words that speak about our oneness in a body and what that means. It says this, Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, the old man, with its practices, and have put on the new self, the new man, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew. There we go again. 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, plural, you're a group, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. For who? We don't need to show God compassion. This is talking about for each other. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. So you see all those references to our oneness, and that that means we need to treat each other a certain way. So that's all I'm going to say, but Colossians 3, 9 to 15 could be another sermon. But here, why don't you preach that sermon to yourself? Here's my my recommendation on how to apply this message this morning. Go home, and because you're going to go home anyways. I'm not saying go home now, but when you go home, when that happens, read Colossians 3, 9 to 15. Read it slowly and really soak in. And as you hear about the one another and each other, think about us this morning and just say, Lord, where do I need to grow? What can I do better in? How can I better take my place? not just as a solo Jesus in me, but as a part of the people of God. So humbled to be invited. And I'm sure that the Lord will help you with that. So we're going to close here by standing and singing together that song we sang at the beginning. Team, why don't you come on up? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they really are our fathers through faith in Christ. In Christ, we are Abraham's offspring. In Christ, we are the children of the promise. And we get to walk this stretch of our journey by faith, looking to what's in store. So let's pray. I'm going to pray for us here, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, would you help us, please, to really get our hearts around the truth that we are a part of a people, an ancient people with an ancient lineage. And and we've been grafted into this tree. We've been made a part of the people and the kingdom and the family and the household. And Lord, would you help those of us here who are Gentiles, would you help us to feel so humbled and privileged by this? And would you help us then, Lord, to love our fellow family, our fellow citizens, Help us to really live like we're going to spend forever together. Lord, you show us what it looks like to walk by faith together today. Amen.